Gimme Shelter is supported by the James Irvine Foundation, committed to a California where all low-income workers have the power to advance economically. Buy a house in Buenos Aires and you have a collection of, uh, of carpinchos in your backyard. We will absolutely make time to talk to you again. Welcome, everyone, to Gimme Shelter, the California Housing Crisis podcast. I am Liam Dillon, housing affordability reporter for the Los Angeles Times. And I'm Manuela Tobias, and I write about housing and homelessness at CalMatters. And today, as some of you might already be able to tell because we've switched up who was doing the intro, uh, we have a very special episode. It is exciting, but also sad because we're going to be saying goodbye to my co-host of nearly two years as she goes on a new journey. That's right, Liam. After nearly four years reporting on different issues relating to poverty and inequality in California, including housing for the last two years, and many, many more living in the United States, I will be moving home to my native Buenos Aires, Argentina, in April. This is a huge move for me, inspired mostly by my family, almost all of whom are in Argentina. And I can't say too much more right now, but I will continue to do journalism over there. Manuel, I'm going to have more to say about you and the excellent work that you've done on this podcast and in general later on in the episode. But it's really tough for me to express how much I'm personally going to miss doing this with you and miss spending time with you, mostly virtually, but nevertheless. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can't help but wonder if really after Argentina won the World Cup, this was just <laughs> a foregone conclusion. You know what I mean? <laughs> You're exactly right. I mean, I wouldn't blame you for blaming Messi for this. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, as your last contribution to the show, you're going to be sharing a very important project that you just finished up earlier this week, talking about an investigation on mobile home parks that I would definitely recommend all of our listeners check out, published right now on calmatters.org. Yeah. So Liam, let's get into the heart of the story. I want to start by taking you straight to a mobile home park I've been reporting on for several months now. It's called Stockton Park Village, and it's on the outskirts of Stockton, about an hour south of Sacramento in California's Central Valley. Here's a picture of that park from the first time I visited it this past November. Can you describe what you see here to our listeners? So I'm looking at this photo, there's trash everywhere. I'm seeing a huge pile of garbage, soiled mattresses, and I guess it's around what's supposed to be a playground area, but really looks mostly like a dumping ground. So that swing set belongs to an 87-year-old man named Bobby Riley. He bought it for his seven-year-old granddaughter, Brooke. He loves when she comes over to visit and wanted her to have a fun place to play when she came over. And here's Bobby. You can see what's happening right here with the playground. This used to be all clean. It was really nice. That thing right there, that's the toy thing here for the kids. I left that there so when kids do come around. Like my granddaughter's here right now. She usually got there swinging. But uh, I should to take it out of here because yeah. now the garbage has reached it. And uh, yeah. nobody wants their kids out there playing in the garbage. The trash Bobby's talking about started to pile up around 2019, and the problems got even worse sometime in 2020 when the park owners abandoned the property and the manager died, opening it up to squatters and illegal dumping. And even worse, surfacing raw sewage that started to pool after the septic system failed. The problem lingered for nearly four years, 
And during the worst of it in early 2021, Bobby told me he could even smell the liquid that surrounded his home through his walls for months on end. She just shit everywhere. Excuse the name, but that's what it was. Man, these sound really horrific conditions. It's tough to just think about living in this way, Manuela, you know, someone pushing 90 and dealing with all of this stuff. So how did Bobby get to be living in this situation? So the root of the issue here is that the state of California has given its housing agency, the Department of Housing and Community Development, or HCD, limited powers to intervene when conditions at mobile home parks get this bad. Because believe it or not, the department, which oversees conditions at mobile home parks across the state, has known about this park and visited it countless times starting in 2018. Wow. So the state has known about what this park has been like for five years now, but they haven't done anything about it? Well, we'll get into what they did and didn't do later. But clearly their intervention wasn't enough to fix the problems. So what options were they working with? So in cases like this, there are essentially three options under what's called the Mobile Home Parks Act. That's the law that governs mobile home parks in the state. First, they can take away the park owner's ability to collect rent from residents. Second, with the state's permission, the city or county can take over and sue the park owners. And third, they can shut down the park altogether. Okay, so that actually does sound like they have some options here. They do. The problem is these parks are some of the state's last and biggest stocks of affordable housing. So it's a catch-22. Shut down problematic parks, that third option, and displaced residents who are often one step away from living in their cars, or use enforcement powers sparingly as health and safety emergencies fester. You know, what you're talking about here is so striking and familiar and frankly sad. Whenever I've reported on bad living conditions or slum housing over the years, I always hear the same argument. It's like, well... If we as a city or the state or whomever shut down a property because of rampant roach infestations or faulty plumbing or wiring or things like that, then we're worried that the conditions existing residents face may end up being worse than what they're living in right now. Yeah, that is exactly what I heard over and over again. And one of the reasons that I was excited to share this reporting with you, because I feel like Uh you've seen this happen across the state over many, many years. And it was especially interesting to see that dynamic play out here, where you literally had a clash between the existing mobile home residents and people moving in who were unhoused. So you're going to tell us a little more about what the state's been doing as it tries to strike that balance between keeping mobile home parks open, because they are, you know, in fact, a crucial source of affordable housing, kind of last resort housing, while also at the same time making sure that conditions of the park are actually livable. Okay, so let's pull back a little bit. What can you tell us about the broader mobile home population across the state Are there characteristics or statistics that many residents share? So as you said, I've been working on this investigation for going on five months. So I have lots of stats. More than one and a half million people live in mobile homes across the state. And most of those are in mobile home communities, these parks that can range from a couple to more than a thousand lots. The park that Bobby Riley lives in is 34 lots. 
their residents are poorer and older than the average renter and increasingly Latino. So we've referenced this a little bit already, but when we talk about mobile homes being a crucial stock of affordable housing in California, what type of kind of rents and things like that are we talking about? As far as recurring expenses go, leasing a lot at these mobile home parks is much less expensive than renting. When Bobby Riley moved into his park, he was paying $370 a month, less than $400. A one-bedroom apartment in Stockton now costs about $1,300 a month, and Stockton is considerably cheaper than many other cities in California. Yeah, indeed. And even there, that's quite a difference. It absolutely is. And these savings are even more important when you're a senior and you're on a fixed income like Riley is. Also, as I mentioned, a lot of elderly people live in these parks. Many are specifically 55 plus, And this is really the end of the line for them, given the prohibitive cost of housing in the state. Bobby was relieved to get his spot in the park when he moved in in 2018. He was ready to live out his days in peace, watching westerns and spending time with his family, especially his granddaughter, whose playset you just described. And I intended to stay here, you know. I mean, this is it. I'm not a spring chicken no more. When I moved in here, I thought this is where I'm going to end my days right here. That's why it was so disappointing and exhausting to have to deal with issues like pools of raw sewage for months on end. Yeah, I'm wondering too, can you explain a little more about what the relationship is with people renting the piece of land to help people understand a little better how these arrangements works for Bobby Riley and how they sort of typically work in these parks? So Bobby owns the home. His daughter bought it for him four years ago in the foothills of the Sierras. And he moved it into the park where he then rents the lot. And that's the arrangement most mobile homeowners have. They own the home, but they rent the land, which leads to some of these much more precarious living situations than a regular homeowner or a renter. I think that raises a question, not just for Bobby's situation, but for others who might be living in sort of difficult circumstances. If people own their actual trailer, why don't they just find a different park to live in when they're dealing with conditions that are this bad? Yeah, it's a really valid question. And it's what I kept wondering about Bobby. When the sewer problems started getting really bad in 2021, he said he wanted to up and move. What I found out is it would cost thousands of dollars to tow his trailer. Mm. And because his home is so old, it could even break apart during that move. That's the case for a lot of residents in these older parks and especially these lower income folks that we're talking about. But even in the best case scenario that he was able to afford that move, there are very few vacancies at parks across the state. And Again, the age of Bobby's trailer is an issue here. The problem is this is an older trailer. Your nice trailer courts don't want this in there. All right, let's broaden this out a little bit. How common are the issues that Bobby's facing now in mobile home parks across the state? So Bobby's park represents some of the worst of the worst in terms of conditions at mobile home parks in the state. The way I actually found his park was I asked for complaints coming from 
parks all over the state in the recent years. And his park was at the top with some of the most complaints. It was about 45 complaints with allegations of these different health and safety issues. It's one of about 40 parks in California that have had their licenses suspended by the state housing department, which means that the park owner can't collect rents, but residents can still continue to live there. To put that in perspective, there's just about 4,500 mobile home parks in California. So a pretty small percentage. And there's even other kinds of parks like RV parks and unlicensed parks. But today we're just focusing on these mobile home parks. Yeah. So again, 40 out of 4,500 doesn't actually sound like it's that bad. I know. In that context, it may seem like this isn't a big deal, but let me explain why these numbers don't paint a full picture of the situation. By law, the state only has to inspect 5% of all its parks, those 4,500 that I mentioned, every year, which amounts to about just under 200 parks a year. That means, Liam, that a park can go 20 years without getting a full inspection. Uh, okay, so... Like, no one may be going to these parks for, like, maybe even two decades. Yes and no. In 2020, the state auditor assessed mobile home park inspections across the state because we're in this deep housing shortage and they recognize that these parks provide some of the cheapest housing to low-income folks. They found that in the previous decade, between 2010 and 2019, inspectors did these park-wide inspections in just under half of parks, 45%. But it actually did visit most remaining parks to address individual complaints and approve construction permits. However, during these complaint inspections and these permit approvals, the state isn't required to do a full inspection, only respond to the problem they were called out to see. You might have a park with 1,500 spots and yeah. the inspector's only going out to check out one single spot. Right, and if I'm the inspector checking out that spot and I'm here to look at their porch permit, for instance, I see sewage pooling around someone's home next door under these rules or guidelines, I wouldn't have to report that leak? Technically, no. You can write it up, but you're not necessarily required to. When you go out to do a complaint inspection or permit approval, you uh -huh. only go out to do what you were called out to do. Yeah, so I can definitely see the gaps here. It's important to say that 330 parks got no visits at all, so mm -hmm. not even that port inspection. Mm -hmm. And these proactive inspections matter because numerous studies have shown that these parks are much more vulnerable to climate change phenomena like flooding, like we've been having, mm -hmm. and wildfires than other homes. All the time reporting a story, I would get Google alerts and find parks that single homes that had had electrical fires constantly. Yeah. The vast majority of these homes were built before 1976 when the federal government first came up with standards for these homes. There weren't really any before that. So these aging parks need regular maintenance inspections. Here's how Jerry Ryu, a longtime policy consultant, put it. He's going to use the acronym HCD, which is the state's Housing and Community Development Department. Parks that are that bad probably represent 50 or 60 
parks mm-hmm. in the state. Mm-hmm. But there's the next level that they're not quite as bad. But if they don't get inspected for 10 years, how bad will they be? And I think most of the people won't file a complaint with HCD because they're afraid that they'll be thrown on the street and they have nowhere to go. That point he makes about people being afraid to complain is what advocates told me up and down the state. Some people don't know how to complain or who to complain to. Many people think it's their local code enforcement department. Yeah. But the biggest fear is retaliation from their landlords, the park owner, which could actually mean losing their home. So kind of gap upon gap of potential enforcement and inspection here. Let's get back to Bobby's Park. You know, you told me a lot of parks that probably have issues are sitting uninspected. You've said Bobby's Park has had its license suspended. So clearly the state was there, as you mentioned, and did take some action in this case. Yes, they did. In part because residents and neighbors and county officials flooded the state agency with complaints starting mainly in 2019 when the problems were getting bad. And the state kept coming out and finding violations and issuing warnings to the park owners. When violations wouldn't get fixed, the state would suspend the owner's license, which stops them from collecting rents. But even that normally powerful action, because you want to get paid, didn't accomplish much here because by 2020, the owners had abandoned the park. But even after all of this, the state still didn't shut the park down? That's right. Remember, Liam, the last thing the state wants to do is sacrifice more affordable housing. Yeah, this exact issue we keep coming back to. The next best thing they can do is refer the unfixed violations to the county, which they did at the county's behest in the summer of 2021. The county then sued the park owners when they failed to respond to the lawsuit, and they put the park into a receivership. That receiver is now in the process of selling the park to a new owner, but he says he hasn't had any money to do substantial repairs, even get trash picked up for months. Wow. I talked about this to Zoe Merrill. She's the San Joaquin County attorney who says she's been asking the state to take stronger action on the park for years. What frustrates me is that we have asked HCD to get the policy question answered. If the Mobile Homes Park Act is putting you, HCD, in a position where you don't think we can enforce basic health and safety laws, then go to the legislature and figure out how do we address it? What is the right answer? Because as far as us at the county level, as far as we are concerned, not enforcing basic safety laws is not an option. It's not an option for the legal residents. It's not an option for the community. It's just not an option. And so we certainly don't want to take any action that makes somebody homeless. But HCD, you have created hostages. Okay, so that was powerful. She sort of speaks to the heart of what's going on here. When we started this conversation, we said we're going to try to give a sense of balance that the state is striking between keeping this source of affordable housing available to people while also keeping mobile home parks livable for their residents. In the end, what is your reporting showing about how they're balancing those uh, two issues? I found they're struggling to do that. The state recognizes that they don't have much affordable housing to offer these people and 
they want to be careful not to displace them. Right. Bobby himself was on multiple wait lists for affordable housing. And, you know, like many people that we talk to just aren't able to get off that list for years. The state also has not historically been able to offer money to owners directly to make repairs. And they're really wary of doing that as well. And, you know, putting that taxpayer money which they have had money to make repairs to mobile home parks, but it's really hard to access and it's mostly through resident ownership models. And lawmakers told me that's changing this year with $100 million in grant and loan funding to make some of those repairs, even some of which will be available to owners as long as they keep rents cheap. But at the end of the day, yeah, keeping people housed still seems to be the top priority and, you know, the good is the enemy of the perfect. Something that really crystallized for me how the state sees Stockton Park Village, Bobby Riley's mobile home park, is they said it was a shining example of a system working according to plan. Hmm. That was a direct quote from the housing department's director of codes and standards, Kyle Kraus. It's tough to imagine calling uh, a place where people have lived for years with raw sewage surrounding them a shining example of a system working, but I guess here we are. Yeah, despite all the challenges residents have faced, the back and forth with the county, everything, the state sees the fact that the park has stayed open as a victory. And ultimately, it is now on the path to getting a new owner who is supposed to make all of those repairs and bring it back up to code. That is a victory compared with shutting down that park and displacing these residents forever. Krauss said the state was consistently responsive and exhausted its enforcement capabilities at the park. Tell us about Bobby Riley. Where do things stand for him now? So in January, the county went out and cleared all of the squatters and all of the garbage, piles and piles of garbage, which at one point were eight feet tall, resulting in what state officials told me is a night and day difference. That's some of what Krauss is referring to in that quote. However, the lawyers representing the tenants told me that during that process, the park's water got shut off. Zoe Merrill, the county attorney we just heard from seconds ago, also told me the electrical panel for the park was ironically stolen the day after the sheriff's cleanup. So Bobby has been depending on a generator through this record cold winter. On my last visit, there were dishes piled in a sink waiting to be washed with a stock of jugs of water. And he was trying to keep warm with his black Reebok sweatshirt and a generator. I'm still here, but like right now, I have no water. I have to buy cooking water. Uh, everything I do, I have to buy it. I can't get water to bathe in. Can't shower. No electricity. That's why I had to go buy a generator. You know, those things aren't cheap. It was either that, you know, or freeze to death. Man, that's something. Well, thank you, Manuela, for introducing us to Bobby and writing through this story, which we write a lot about housing issues and not just us, but many reporters around the state. And there's very little reporting on mobile home parks, especially comprehensive stories like this. And so this is quite a service that you've added to helping us understand housing problems at all levels. 
for folks in the state and all across the state. And I guess this is sort of the sad part of that we're coming to the end of this episode, which means that we're coming to the end of our time together. And I just really want to express how much of a privilege it's been to co-host this with you over the past couple of years. Many things that impressed have really impressed me about you. I've just been so kind of awed, frankly, at how quickly you were able to pick up and understand the housing issues at such a base level and then at such a broad level too. And then also the way you were able to bring so much empathy in really all of your coverage. And I think it's just been you know a gift to be able to work with you. And I'm sad that we won't be able to do it anymore. Although I am, of course, excited <laughs> for you and what and what's coming next. Thank you. Oh, <laughs> that's really kind. And it means a lot for you to say that, Liam. And I've learned so much from you doing all of this coverage as well. I've had some incredible examples to look to and learn from. And it's definitely not the end of our friendship and of my reporting on on these issues. But thank you for the kind words. Hopefully we'll have uh, we'll have Manuela back as a guest host at some point in the future. And <laughs> yes, please make when sure when I buy a house. When you buy a house, yes. Maybe yes, when we'll, I'm sixteen. Buy, buy a house in Buenos Aires and you have a collection of uh, of carpinchos in your backyard. <laughs> yes. We will absolutely make time to talk to you again. I would love that. So make sure, of course, to check out Manuela's uh, story on this with some great photos and graphics and other information at CalMatters right now. And for people who might be in this situation, we are putting together a guide on how to file complaints about health and safety issues and other tenancy issues as well at your mobile home park. And if you need any additional resources, you can also find those online. There's a very helpful website, lawhelpca.org, that advocates have pointed us to. And you can also get in touch with us at info at calmatters.org. So before we leave, I imagine our listeners are going to want some news on the future of the podcast. Liam, what do you have for us? Right. So obviously, as we've said, have some very large shoes to fill. But I can tell you that some of the higher ups, as it were, at CalMatters and the LA Times are trying to figure things out for Gimme Shelter going forward. And we all hope to be able to give people some definitive news soon. For the short term, yeah, we will be going on a bit of a uh, hiatus. Cool. Well, I will look forward to whatever news comes out and I'll be following you on Twitter like the rest of us for for any (laughs) updates. Thank you for listening to Gimme Shelter, everyone. Our podcast is produced by myself, Manuela Tobias from CalMatters and CalMatters audio editor, Mary Franklin Harvin. Our engineer is Victor Figueroa. Thank you, Victor. And my amazing co-host, Liam Dillon. To all of our fans and loyal listeners and hopefully new listeners as well for following us on this journey. Thank you, and we hope to see you again soon.